welcome to the Conscious Culture Cafe, the podcast that explores how you can lean into your purpose, live your values, and enhance your social impact through your work. I'm your host, Kathy Miller Perkins. Where do I begin in my introduction of our guest today? Priya and I met several years ago in a forum for women-owned businesses. I'll never forget when she introduced herself as Priya, the organizers asked for her last name. She said she wants to be known as Priya only, no last name. And she explained if Oprah could do it, so could she. She describes herself as an immigrant and a brown girl. Priya is the president and CEO of her company, Consultant On The Go. She says she's driven by her purpose and passion for harmony and equity, and she is a self-proclaimed rebel who found her cause. Through her work, she inspires others to embrace their strengths and weaknesses and show up authentically in everything they do. Welcome, Priya. You and I have been colleagues for a long time, and I've always admired your work and the way you think about your work. Can you start out by telling us a little bit about what you do? That's a big question. What do I, I do? Know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am the president and CEO of my company called Consultant on the Go. And my work primarily focuses in the areas of change management, leadership development, and equity. Oh, and okay. I do this work really through the lenses of that intersectionality of human behavior and this whole notion of how do we look at differences mm-hmm. as it pertains to being humans. Mm-hmm. Right? Because as, as you know, Kathy, in doing change management work, humans love comfort. Yeah, and, really. Uh, and stability. Yes. <laughs> and it's all about how do, we, how do we find that perfect intersectionality where as a leader, I'm open to diversity, open to looking at my own behavior and implementing behavioral change. Mm-hmm. while being equitable through that process. That's great work. And especially right now, while our country is in such turmoil, I'm sure that your work has always been important, but it's even more important now, given what's going on in our country. So you wrote an article that I really enjoyed reading. And the title of the article was, I believe, You Cannot Change What You Cannot Acknowledge, correct? Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I've got a number of questions. As I read it, it just stimulated my thinking, and I'm so glad to be able to have this discussion with you about it. You talk about how you can't change if you don't know that you need to change, and you said that people on the inside of organizations, even though their leaders are demanding that they make these changes to embrace diversity, they don't really understand why. You talk about racial issues, pay inequities, all these different things that companies are asking their employees to address, but their employees are dismissing them, or some employees are dismissing these issues. How can leaders better prepare their employees for understanding the importance of, for example, the race issues, which is the big one right now. Absolutely. And, you know, so for me, I look at this work, I've been doing work around equity for about 20 years, but Mm -hmm. lately I've been really looking at it through the lenses of change management. Mm -hmm. I think when we look at some of the progress we've made and maybe areas that we've not made as much progress in is because we really haven't taken the time 
to explicitly call out the what's in it for me. Oh, for individuals, yeah, right? I mean, right. if you talk about change management, fundamentally, right. paraphrasing Darwin, we're all selfish. Yeah. Right? When something happens or you ask me to do something differently, you could tell me it's for a greater good, yeah. but my inner inner core is going to say, Kathy, what's in it for me? Why yeah. would I want to do that for you? Right. And, and I think sometimes, as, sometimes organizations, and I think maybe even as a community, we've just assumed that people know the why. Why would anybody be against equity? Mm-hmm. Why would anybody be against pay equity? Like women and men should be paid equally mm-hmm. or every human should be treated with dignity. We don't really stop and think about the history or we don't stop and really think about that collective programming that some of us might have in ourselves that contradicts what I consider my reality. Yeah, right. So if leaders want to help with that, how would they go about it? Let me quote a couple things, or at least refer to a couple things you said in your article. You talked about a lack of empathy, and I agree with you that there's a lack of empathy, and that has a lot to do with why people don't change. They can't put themselves in the other person's shoes. How do leaders help people develop empathy, or do people have to do that on their own, or talk about that a little bit? Empathy and emotional intelligence go hand in hand. Ah, yeah. So just just like with emotional intelligence, you know, some of us just are naturally wired to be emotionally intelligent, pick up on Mm -hmm. those verbal and nonverbal cues and be Mm -hmm. there for each other. But it's a skill that can be learned. So others need a little bit of more help and nudging. Mm -hmm. So empathy is similar in that form, because at least the way I look at this topic, you know, there is no way... I could ever experience everything that someone has experienced in their lifetime. Right. You and I know each other. I know a little about you. You know a little about me. The rest is just stories that I have made up in my head based mm-hmm. on what I know about you. Mm-hmm. Good point. Right? Yeah. Right? So, so again, we as human beings are story, storytellers in, in essence. So, so that piece of empathy is first recognizing that I as an individual, I'm a storyteller. So mm-hmm. I know Kathy, but I only know 5% of who Kathy really might be. The right. rest is my narrative. Right. And so if I want to be empathetic, then I have to pause. I have to listen. I have to try to understand what Kathy's life really was like versus what my assumptions tell me her life was like. Yeah, exactly. And then try to figure out what was it like growing up if I was in her shoes. Mm-hmm. So how do you get people to do that? I mean, one of the things that when I was reading your article, one of the things I was thinking about is how much of it is a lack of empathy, that is a lack of or an inability to put oneself in the other person's shoes, and how much of it is just plain old self-protection. I like the power I have. Why would I want to give that up? How do you deal with that? How do you help people deal with that? Yeah, that's so true. You know, so the honest answer would be I'm an optimist at heart. And so I guess you are. I know that about you. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that about you. Thank you. you. So I really try to believe that the majority part of the world or the majority of individuals we're trying to influence are not sitting there knowing they have the power and fighting to hold on to it. Mm -hmm. I believe that most of us have a good heart. We want to do better. We want to influence change. What we may not know is the how we can influence change. Right. That does make sense. And so for me, that's the way I like to tie it to answer your question of what can we do. 
you know, not to oversimplify it, but again, the fact that we as human beings are constantly seeking our comfort zone. So, you know, you have to know how to do it. So no matter how much we love our comfort zone, the partly the reason we love it is because we can operate from a place of unconscious competence. To me, unconscious competence is when I act without effort, right? So think about when you get up in the morning, you go through your routine without stopping and thinking about it. Right. Because you've done it so many times. You know how to get out of bed. You know where your alarm clock is. You know where the bathroom is. You Mm -hmm. just are on autopilot. Mm -hmm. When we get into conversations of race or equity or, or topics that I might not be familiar with, I as an individual or even a professional or a leader start to consciously feel incompetent. Ah, yes. Right? So suddenly now, maybe you have brought something to my attention about a topic. I am suddenly internally having the narrative of, oh, I'm not the expert anymore. Kathy is going to mm-hmm. realize that I am consciously incompetent mm-hmm. and I'm really not as accomplished as she might have thought I was. Mm-hmm. So what do I do? I either resist the change. I act like the change is not necessary or I minimize it and move on. Do you know, is that a conscious process or is it just a plain emotional defensive reaction? You know, again, I love that question. I think it would probably depend on the individual because for some it might be conscious that I feel like I'm losing my power to your point earlier. For some it just might be getting out of this comfort zone is making me feel uncomfortable. I'm going to hop Mm -hmm. right back into my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So they may not even recognize it. And at least in my experience, most individuals, again, just from the workshops I've done, from the clients I've engaged with, people don't recognize they're doing it because it it is at such a subconscious level. Yeah, right. Right. And it takes courage for me to acknowledge and say to the other person, you know what you just shared with me? I'm really not as familiar with it. So tell me more about it. Let Mm -hmm. me learn. Let me understand while still maintaining my credibility with you. Good point. That's a balancing act, isn't it? It seems to me it's all about trust. The way you describe it, it's all about trust. I can live in that uncomfortable space with you because I trust that you're not going to turn on me or make me feel foolish or would that be part of it? I think absolutely. I think that's part of it. The other part of it is also that piece around vulnerability. You know, if if I am the expert sitting across from you and I suddenly say, well, Kathy, I don't know about that. Tell me more. How does that impact my credibility with you? Mm -hmm. If you have labeled me as an expert and now suddenly I'm saying to you, I don't know. This is part of why when we think about even innovation in organizations and creative thinking, on why individuals don't often take risk. Because Mm -hmm. risk requires you to go into that space where you may not be the expert and know everything. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the vulnerability issue, I agree completely that it requires a vulnerability that many of us are not comfortable with. And, And I would maintain that most leaders have been taught, or believe at least, that they should not be vulnerable that they are in their position of leadership in order to, in their words, show strength and that any kind of vulnerability gives others the perception that they're not strong. How do you, how do we deal with that? 
you know, to me, this is where we as human beings are so fascinating and so complex. Because at that point, what at least the way I connect that, it's about the leader's culture and how they were taught a leader needs to behave. You know, some leaders truly are taught to be individualistic. They are the expert, the buck stops here. As long as they're meeting their goals and reaching their key performance numbers, they're good. Organizations don't care about the bodies they've left behind. Whereas other leaders are more collective. They want to build Mm -hmm. consensus. They want to include all voices. And they want to collectively Mm -hmm. get things accomplished. And they'll still exceed their goals. But how they Mm -hmm. get there is different. And that's where that element of diversity comes in. Whether it's my innate personality, whether it's how I was taught to behave as a leader, and then what have I picked up along the way, even from my education, because there's a a programming that happens even with my education. Absolutely, absolutely. As I look at what's going on around us now, we have had so many crises hit all at once that I really believe we are in a transformational time. And what I believe is that leaders really do have to give up that feeling that they need to be in control because nobody has the answers right now. Nobody has all the answers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's part of why, you know, when we talked to your point earlier about when we talk about racism, when we talk about pay equity, the Me Too movement, Mm -hmm. is that, you know, I often question, do we get that silence because the individuals that are being called out or being asked to be allies are consciously feeling incompetent. I think you're onto something there. I do. Right? And don't know what to Mm -hmm. say or what to do. So they sit in silence. They may say they're allies, but they don't have the skills and the competencies or the confidence or the courage to say something to support what they believe. I like the, your reference to courage because I think dealing with the racial issues that we have right now requires a lot of courage from everybody because everybody feels vulnerable, I think, on every side of the issue. Everyone feels vulnerable and, and incompetent, at least up to a certain point. So in order to make progress now, and I don't think there's any going back. I just can't, I can't see the country going back at this point. In order to make progress, we all have to learn to be vulnerable and to feel our own incompetence and accept that in each other and in ourselves. And that's hard. It is hard. And Kathy, you know, to your point, as you talk about the country, I think it's even harder because if you look at the history of our country and even the leadership values that you know mm-hmm. we have stood on over the hundreds of years, right. it's tied to the Lone Ranger. It's tied to the individualistic leader that leads us and fights the battles for us and takes care of us. So now we are saying we need to switch the narrative, which yes, I believe we do. However, Mm -hmm. I realize that may rub against the values, the beliefs, and the behaviors that are baked into who we might be as individuals. 
Yeah, that's true. It is. It's a real conflict. And I think you talked in your article about assumptions and questioning our assumptions. And I think what you were just saying gets at that issue of what are the assumptions that we don't even know we have about our country, about ourselves, that because assumptions are taken for granted, so often they're buried. And yet you mentioned in the article that one of the ways to make change is to examine our assumptions. How do we do that? How do we bring those assumptions to the surface? Ooh, it's a lot of, lot of deep soul searching often. Um, yeah. You know, so what I often say is, if you're getting feedback, so especially as organizations are thinking about what do we do with this? You know, Mm -hmm. look at the makeup of your organization, just first demographically, and just get a glimpse of, you know, what are you dealing with? What are the policies and procedures? Who is in my high potential pipeline? Is it people Mm -hmm. that look the same, have gone to the same school? Could there be some unconscious biases at play? So you can look at data first. I want to go to statistics, right? Because we all have access to that. Yes, right. And then I think what's, what's critical for organizations and leaders to consider is really looking at their own leadership style and mm-hmm. checking in with themselves as they look at maybe their immediate core team that they manage. Mm-hmm. You know, how do they make hiring decisions? Who do they decide is assigned that high potential project? And where are these decisions coming from? What mm-hmm. values are driving those decisions? And, and, you know, Kathy, as I say this, my intent is not that we go back and judge how we were raised. Right. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, you know, we are as human beings on autopilot 90% of the time. Yeah. Research yeah. shows us that we are making decisions from our subconscious mind, which is a collective of all the data we have accumulated over the lifetime of being on planet Earth. So where do you get your assumptions from? I'll give you a simple example. Several, several years ago, when I was still in the corporate world, I had a leader, you know, a C-suite leader say to me, I have this assignment and I need to send someone to China for a startup. And I have two individuals that are on my high potential list. One happens to be a woman and one happens to be a man. And I said, okay, tell me more. And he said, well, the woman just got engaged. So I just think we need to just ask this male to go to China for us. Because (laughs) I would not want my daughter, if she had just gotten engaged, to be away from her fiancé planning her wedding for three months. Now, what I want to just highlight there, Kathy, is, you know, we can say his intent was positive. He was looking at this this employee of his as his own daughter. However, the impact of his decision on her career could have been huge. And not to mention, he took away her choice of saying yes or no. That's what I was thinking when you were talking, Right. right? Right. You know, that's just such a simple example. But then when we bring this to the conversation or to the forefront of race, how are we having this conversation of race? Are we justifying things through our own lenses mm-hmm. on what could have George Floyd done differently before the interaction happened with the police officer? Are we trying to justify in our own mind based our own, our own values and principles on the decisions that were made after yeah. the police showed up and his arrest came? And that's what I, you know, I, I, what fascinates me about human behavior. Mm -hmm. Because this is where human behavior comes in and how we start to 
justify our own beliefs. Yes, indeed. And we all have that tendency. I believe it takes conscious, intentional effort not to justify our own beliefs and not to just notice what confirms what we already believe. (laughs) Confirmation bias. Yes. (laughs) It is. We are constantly fighting biology. Yeah. And, And I think that's part of, for me, the big piece is, you know, as you refer back to the article is if we don't first acknowledge even at that very basic level that our biology is at play. And mm-hmm. that even though I am adamant in what I believe, I know what I believe, I'm sure about it, that there could be a small percentage that I might be missing something yeah. or not have all the information. Right. And until I'm able to do that, you know, that's for me the big piece about checking my assumptions is if I'm not able to just be open to that, then how can I continue to grow? How can I continue to lead as a leader yeah. uh, with whatever the business demands of me? And, you know, it seems to me, and this is something I'd like for you to give me your opinion about, it seems like people all of a sudden, and I'm sure it doesn't feel like all of a sudden to many, but all of a sudden people are more open to questioning their assumptions and having these difficult conversations. Why is that? What makes this time so different? It's not like this stuff hasn't gone on for a very long time. What's making this so different now, do you think? Oh, that's a big question. Where do we go with that? Oh, come on. You can do it. (laughs) You can do it. I feel certain. Oh, well, you know, the honest answer would be, I think it's a combination of things. I think it's a combination of where we are as a country, as a nation in this time in history, Mm -hmm. Um, whether we look at politics, whether we look at what and how we are defining leadership when it comes through that political lens, what is acceptable behavior, what is not acceptable behavior. I think there's just so much that's gone on in the last, say, four to five years, Yeah, nationally, but also globally, that I, I think individuals that might have been on the sideline taking it in silently and trying to be silent allies are now recognizing that they've had enough. And they need to step up and let their voices be heard, even though they might be feeling consciously incompetent in that moment. Uh And so they're more willing to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. and I think that's part of it. You know, when we have so much change all at once, the change triggers individuals differently. Mm -hmm. You know, if COVID-19 didn't have you triggered, then did did George Floyd's murder have you triggered? Mm -hmm. If that didn't have you triggered, was there something else that happened in our country or in your community that has you triggered that that you're asking for change? Because you're realizing that maybe there is some truth to what I'm hearing. And that's the piece around acknowledgement. Because if I don't even acknowledge that there is something wrong, And I don't feel the need to get up and do anything about it because my world's perfect then. Right. We were all stuck in our homes when the Floyd murder took place. It's not like we had other things to distract us, really. (laughs) We are all at a standstill. So it does seem that that could have played into our ability. Well, not to mention the fact that it was so vivid on video. It's hard to deny something you see that's that vivid. It's one thing to read about it in the paper. It's another thing to see it on video. 
Yes, and and to your point, I think it'll be fascinating when the case actually goes to trial on on the interpretations that'll come mm-hmm. out of even the same video that millions yeah, of us have seen, right. and yet there will be million interpretations. Absolutely, and that Absolutely. takes me takes me right back to our biology and how we may be seeing the same thing, hearing the same thing, but our interpretations. Are different. Yeah. And that, that brings me to another point that you made in your article. You talked about systemic change. And I guess my question when I read that, first of all, I think that's absolutely what we need. Absolutely. I agree with you on that. I wonder if, can we have systemic change without personal change? Or do we have to have personal change in order to be able to make systemic change? Love that question. I think it has to be a combination because, you know, just from a lenses of change and change management, mm-hmm. when we think about the bell curve and those early innovators and then our early adapters, right? And then you get the late majority and the laggards. Right. I think this systemic change will be a combination of things. You have your individuals that have the heart in the right place have a sphere of influence and are willing to use their privilege to start to question the systems. Yeah, good. good. And then along the way, they, hopefully they find the right allies to start educating the minds of those that are still sitting on the sidelines, mm-hmm. which comes from the training and the coaching and the conversations. And then we get to a point where we build enough momentum then that, that change then just becomes part of our everyday. Oh, that's a wonderful way to put it. So, so it is, it's integrated. The personal change and the systemic change go together, it yeah. sounds like, in your opinion. Absolutely. Because if a policy just was going to fix something, then, you know, we, we did pass a lot of laws in the yeah, 60s. Right. We did. And ironically, we're still fighting for those same rights. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> and I've been around since those days. <laughs> I take a look at what's happening and I think, are we really still here? Are we really, after all this time, still in this place? And unfortunately, we are. Yeah. You know, what can you say? <laughs> it, it's, it's a, it's, to me, it's just a fascinating journey. As frustrating as it is, and yes, we've made some progress, I keep going back to this human experience and these these human conversations and connections we keep trying to make yes. while fighting our biology that tells me I need to stay with people that are more like me or yeah, I need to right. stay in my comfort zone or how dare I go on the other side of the railroad tracks because you know those people, I yeah. shouldn't be with those people. Right. And, and right. yet we've made progress and we haven't. Yeah, and a life with no change or no discomfort seems so boring, really. (laughs) Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. You know, for me, it's that analogy, not to oversimplify it, but it's the analogy of a turtle. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, when a turtle is is out of its comfort zone, it just goes into its shell and hangs out. That's a really good analogy. That's a terrific (laughs) analogy. Till it's safe. And then the head bops out only when the environment feels safe. And that's the piece I think that we need to figure out is how do we create that safe space for those Mm -hmm. of us who might be in shock or have our head in our shells right now going, okay, I want to support this, but I don't know what to do and I don't know how to do it. 
you know, how do we create those safe spaces for the allies, for individuals that want to, are comfortable owning their privilege, their voice, their platform and saying, I want to support this because there's going to be a learning curve. Nobody does everything right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Nobody's completely competent in this space right now. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I would completely agree with you, right? Even though I would, I would categorize myself as a, as a brown girl, as an immigrant to this country, Mm -hmm. I could promise you, I cannot speak for all of them. And even if I tried to, to articulate myself with my experience, I don't have all the information. Right. I just don't. And so that's why it's, it's that learning journey of how do we continue to just seek to understand. That's great. This is such a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate the time that you've spent thinking about this and helping us understand better where you're coming from. Before we sign off, do you have any tips or advice for the listeners about how to approach these times? Anything specific that you think people should do, whether they're leaders, whether they're employees? What would you leave them with, if anything? You know, what I would say to the folks listening is, you know, when someone feels comfortable sharing with you their experience, whether they felt marginalized, whether they felt invisible or even disrespected, don't try to make them feel better by saying, you know, that person didn't mean to disrespect you. That person didn't mean to say that. Acknowledge in the moment what that person felt Mm-hmm. If you're not clear on why they felt the way they did, have them help you understand why they felt the way they did and try to be there for that individual in that moment because they felt like they were invisible or marginalized mm-hmm. and they're coming to you for support or, or allyship. Acknowledge them, listen to them. And then figure out how and what you need to do to be able to support them. And if you're not sure, ask them how they want to be supported in that moment. That's perfect advice. And that's a good place to end our discussion. We really, we could do this for probably hours. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Priya, for being on today. And I know the listeners are taking away much from this discussion. And thanks for writing the article. I found it to be fascinating. Absolutely. Thank you, Kathy, for allowing me to share my perspective on your platform. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Conscious Culture Cafe. If you liked what you heard, connect with us at millerconsultants.com. You can access the show notes and receive our free materials. See you next episode.